I'm Jim Bareford. I'm Ayub. And I'm Randy, and you're listening to Leave the Bottle. spell Ayub's name for you because you want to do an Amazon search for his book that I'm reading right now. So that would be A-Y-O-U-B-K-H-O-T-E. Did I get it right? Yep, that's correct. Ayub is actually an author and uh, he actually has real books out. I have written in magazines. I want to talk about that in just a second. And Jim writes online. Uh, Jim, have you you haven't published anything? I'm guessing, right? Not yet. No, on just uh, strictly online. Yes, no, not on. And I haven't killed any trees yet. So one of the questions we may need to answer is whether how relevant paper even is anymore. I think it's kind of largely uh, been replaced by Amazon, by Kindle, or PDF, or any of those uh, electronic formats. So what do you think, Abe? <laughs> Um, yes and no. Um, the problem is for anything that is published through a large publisher, paper is typically the cheaper way to get hold of a book, which really makes no sense to me because paper comes with production costs, etc., etc. Well, it's uh, an ebook, you know, you set it up once and you can sell as many copies as you want without printing anything. But you publishers can, still haven't it. clocked onto that. You get discounts on paper books. You don't get discounts on the Kindle version. The Kindle version stays at the publisher's initial price from the beginning and stays there, which uh, doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, I think it's scandalous, frankly, uh, how much ebooks cost. And I, you know, I'm all for the authors and writers making their money on it, and I, I, that's not the point. But it's what you talked about a minute ago about. When it comes to e-books, it's one time you do it and boom, you know, I can download it, you can download it, we can all download it. The production cost there ends. Yes, there are server costs and there are Amazon costs and there are Barnes and Noble costs associated with all of that. But there are, it's so negligible, the cost when you compare it to the physical product. And it just when you go to Amazon and you see, say your book was, Nineteen ninety nine in hardcover and in softcover it's you know nine ninety nine and the ebook is nine ninety nine and you can buy it used from the sellers right there for two dollars or three dollars. That that whole model just makes no sense whatsoever. And it, we're what, almost ten years into it now. It's not like it's just started. I mean, we're a, we're a ways into it now. And I don't know is it the is it the buyer who hasn't rebelled and said, wait a minute. These prices are are really skewed uh, badly, or you know, I, I don't know. I think there are two forces, two opposing forces here. The the market, which has to have a lot of, I mean, you know, you either buy or you don't. So I'm sure some books eventually have to reduce prices. So anyway, the the readers are on one end of this opposing forces. The other one is uh, the whole publisher thing, and as we know, they've already been. Uh, if not convicted, uh, accused of price fixing several times. There's been a yes. lot of trouble with that, and and uh, I don't know who's guilty, who's not guilty. But you know, I'm not a market let the market decide guy normally, but a lot of times uh, that's the way this should go. And the, the fact is that unless you badly, badly, badly need a book for your work or something, which which is rarely true of fiction. Let's face it. Uh, you know, don't buy the book if it's expensive and then wait and find another way. I don't, I'm not saying you should seal it, but get it at a half price bookstore or whatever. Uh, it's true these books are overpriced and it's also true, I think, that it's due to price fixing. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, though, 
because <laughs> we really should be talking a little bit more about the creation process. But Ayub, you wanted to say something, so since we got on this jag, let's go ahead with it. Well, I was just going to say that uh, Amazon did something really cool about it, though. If you buy a book from Amazon, you can get the ebook at a discounted rate. I think it's just discounted down to a dollar or something right. like that. So that is actually pretty cool. So you could buy a book discounted from Amazon cheaper than the publisher price, then get the ebook as well and end up paying less than the total price for the ebook. I just actually got a, a check two weeks ago, I think, for $12 and change because of that whole settlement on the, uh, on the ebook price fixing uh, stuff. From, I hadn't even heard about the fact that they were going to be sending checks back out. All of a sudden, I get in the mail for, you know, so that was enough to buy one ebook. <laughs> it's funny that <laughs> Which they I did, I did it right away. That day, I, I that day I bought another ebook with that check. So thank you. Well, the, fa- the fact is, um, I've been trying to copy some DVDs to my, uh, my the, the hard drive on my uh, TV set-top box, DVDs that I own and ba- paid for, you know, and we're watching a show. And the DVDs, either because they're protected or uh, what, for whatever reason, I think they're just old. But the, my point being that I feel that once you buy an intellectual property, that you, sh- you know, that should be the end of it. And then that's why, like you say, I mean, yeah, there can be a small um, uh, price for the support. You know, like you, you contribute a buck to the fact that they have to send it to you on their server or whatever. And then, so I was a little disappointed with that. I don't know how I'm going to get the West Wing season that I'm trying to get to, but I'm sure there is a way. Let's get back for a second to, to uh, because we should have, my fault, we should have started maybe with the creation process. And I just wanted to mention that uh, in the early 80s, I wrote a series of articles for 80 microcomputing on, uh, so there was the nonfiction, you know, short articles about uh, 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 disk operating systems and so on. And I wrote the article on either on, I think I wrote it on my computer actually, and printed it out and sent it to the people I was, whose product I was reviewing. They looked it over, gave me some corrections. I incorporated those corrections into the article, sent the article in, it got published. And uh, that was my first article, then I did a couple others. I mentioned this because that process, uh, actually a few years earlier, would have been I would have had my typewriter and sent it, but the point is that there was a lot of postal mail involved. And there was, you know, except for the fact that I had a computer that was basically being an electronic typewriter anyway, electric typewriter. Um, so I had that, and I actually got paid. I, don't, I wish I could remember how much they paid for these articles, but it was probably, I'm going to say it was probably like 75 bucks or something, which in $1980 is actually a lot of money. I don't think today there are very many magazines. Well, we should have asked Steve Factor about this, but I don't think there's many print magazines that you write for that are paying anything worth mentioning, uh, other than you know if you're at a, you would need to be at a certain level. Abe, what do you think? Um, I am not really part of the whole magazine publishing world, so I couldn't really say as to how much people are getting paid, but I'm sure people are, uh, you know, when, once they get a certain level of notoriety or fame or whatever, are getting paid a fair amount, whilst others 
don't get paid much at all, if well, anything. Well, there's just there's a lot of stringers out there, as you can see by the extremely low quality. And there's nothing wrong with trying to make a living, by the way. Let's be clear. Um, and, and the word stringer is not necessarily uh, an insult, but these are people who don't know what they're talking about half the time. And if you, if you read an article, if you look at articles, we're talking nonfiction, obviously, now. If you look at an article in a magazine, and you're going, oh, yeah, really, that's interesting. But if you know anything about this topic, especially if you know a lot about it, you start to realize that these are people who went to a library or got on the Internet and that's unfortunate. That, that really is. Um, I just That's why I mentioned the process that I followed, which is that I used the product, experimented with it. I made careful notes, wrote it all down, sent it to the people who created the system. They made correct. They go, well, he got that wrong and so on. Uh, I don't think that's going on too much today. Anyway, that was years ago. You look like you wanted to say something. No, I was just saying that um, the art of journalism is mostly dead. We've seen that happen so many times of late where people just publish what is technically an ill-informed opinion piece in poor quality writing with um, absolutely no fact-checking. And um, those kind of things that uh, are typically allowed and a very uh, controversial opinion uh, tend to be shared around on social media a lot more than anything that's actually proper journalism or properly researched or properly written. Absolutely it's, that's true. A, but it's, it's, it's tough now on that because we have a way of disseminating our ideas now that history has – that mankind has never had before. And I think we're in a – still in a testing period – for people who ha- who want to write their thoughts, who want to share their thoughts with the world, where before, you know, you had your journals in your bedroom or, you know, you had your, t- like Randy said, your typewriter that went to you, you know, and maybe, you know, your spouse or family members or school projects or things like that. But now we just have this medium that we're still exploring uh the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, and there is a lot of good that's coming out. And there's, you, you are starting to see more and more websites come out where writers are banding together to create, um, you know, interesting stories and so forth. But, but there's a lot of junk out there. I mean, it's just like YouTube. I mean, you could go to YouTube and watch some like really great videos and really well done stuff. And then you're going to see, you know, some really garbage things too. Um, Sturgeon's, that, Sturgeon's law. Exactly. And and I think that it's good, though. I, I you know, I, I applaud people's efforts, at least, even if it's crappy. I mean, you know, I'd say, you know, at least half of what I write online is crap, you know, and that's, you know, I'm just being I'm not trying to be my worst critic. But, but you know, it's I, I'm still in that whole process myself. You know, I was involved in a, in a startup a couple of years ago where it was all band, people banding together to write, too. Some of it was good. A lot of it was, you no, know, not so good. But th- we, we cared enough to at least try to make an effort. It didn't always work. But, you know, it, 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 it meant something to us. And I think that that's where we're still at in this whole process. And we're going to have yeah. to and we're going to have to wade through a whole lot of crap to get to the good. I, I agree on that. I remember I wrote a couple of pieces for that startup. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And it was so, and it was actually some of the best stuff that we had on there. And you know what? I, we did. We had some people who really cared. But like anything else, you know, uh, 
the longevity of things, who knows, you know, and, and, and some of these sites that are coming out now with these writers who, what's interesting is some of these people who've left like the Washington post and the New York times and so forth, because they felt chafed under the corporate structure of what they could write about, what their editors would let them write about. So I think that, you know, this, these, these freedoms that people have been given, we have to accept that, like anything else, there's going to be you know, there's going to be good in it and bad in it. Um, the, you know, a lot of times it's like let the reader beware. You know, it's but but it's I like that we have this freedom to do this now. Just like what we're doing in this moment, it's kind of the same thing. You know, we're not sitting in some radio studio being told by clear channels. You know what we can talk about. We're going to talk about what we're going to talk about, and writers are going to write what we want to write about. And uh, but there is a lot of garbage out there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the nature of the long tail. But it's it's nice that we're able to do that. I mean, I, I don't consider myself that much of a writer. But what I do try to write are my own personal experiences. And those are unique in that. Well, they're not unique. I mean, you know, for example, I met all four Beatles at a press conference, shook hands with them, gave George Harrison a guitar. Uh, that is unique, actually. As far as I know, I'm the only person on the planet that's ever done that. And certainly no one will ever do it again, because they're not, <laughs> only two of them are left. Uh, but my point is that that kind of an experience, and I've had a lot of experiences that are less glorious, believe me. And I, some of them I can't write about. I would have to fictionalize them and then be anonymous. Uh, but, but the... Uh, the the point is that that doesn't have the same foibles as trying to write a factual uh, nonfiction stuff, and the old nonfiction um, mod um, mode of the time I was talking about in the 1980s, for example, was a lot slower and calmer. And I think uh, Jim, I think you put your finger on it with the social media thing. So the uh, the um, uh, tech uh, uh, tech crunch the tech crunch model of today you know they're kind of the uh, you know the 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 flagship of that philosophy of let's just get this stuff out there whether it's true or not we don't care also the market is completely flooded with something that I give zero attention or interest or importance to which is the next iPhone or the next Android phone or the next Windows phone or the next blackberry I just don't care. I mean, I would be much more interested in an honest review when it's out and I can buy it, but this endless conjecture is just completely worthless. It's just a bunch of crap. Anyway, we're not, we were talking about writing, and I get off on these tangents, and I would like to get back to the creative process. So I mentioned the, the superficial part of my creative process, uh, which is what I did then. What I do now is just write my own personal experiences. But we, we actually have a published author with us here, Ayub. So I would like to hear about your process and the, the day-to-day as well. How did that book, uh, Wolf, remind me? Wolf Dreams. Wolf yes. Dreams. I keep wanting to say Wolf Tales and Wolf Stories. Wolf Tales <laughs> is actually a, a jeu de mots. How did yes. Wolf Dreams come about? Um, I It came about after I had enough short stories to put into it more than anything else. <clears throat> The the short stories in the book aren't really very interlinked or anything like that. They're just um, standalone stories, some vastly different from the others, uh, with vastly different mythologies. Most are off a semi-fantasy bent, but 
yeah, um, they're, they're all different. Uh, I just had to wait until I had enough stories to f- make it worthwhile as a full uh, volume. Um, but my creative process, really, uh, and I think you'll find most writers will tell you this, is quite random. Sometimes um, it will start with a character, and other times it will start with an end game, an end point of a story, a message of some sort, and then building something around that. But um, but once the spark is there, then I sit down and I write, and I end up writing until all hours of the morning and then editing and then rewriting and then fixing and all of that kind of stuff for until it's done. And I mean, one of the great things to help you do that is to set targets for word counts, but even targets for word counts, it's a mathematical way to get a story out, but um, it doesn't really help with inspiration. So if you're in, uh, <laughs> if you if you're in the middle of writer's block, having a word count building up in front of you that uh, you need to get to will just add to stress. So word, does word count actually word count counts for you, but it doesn't really count for anything other than paper word. Well, word count. <sighs> There are industry averages for word count for a novel or a short story, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So word count does count in a way um, to what people expect of a novel or what people expect of a short story. But apart from that, um, especially with digital publishing, you can fit the entirety of all the Game of Thrones books to date. Uh, into a single file and sell that if you really wanted to. So, you know, there's no real, there's less of a real need to limit um, the length of a story just to fit into uh, a reasonably holdable volume. Right. Uh, There's Amazon has something relatively new and I can never remember the name of this, but it's these really short, um, who, the singles. Yeah, the singles. It's it's funny. It's a simple name, and it sounds like a good marketing name, and yet I can never remember it when I want to mention it. Mm-hmm. Amazon singles. They're yes. like ninety nine cents or something. You, yeah, usually they can be ninety nine cents or a dollar ninety nine, um, and they might be twenty pages. I'm talking about pages being in a real physical book. Mm-hmm. Twenty pages. Usually, typically, they're anywhere from most of the time they average like forty to seventy pages, and they're actually because like. They're actually the length of essays or articles, right? You know, if you think about you know a fifty-page book or a seventy-page book, which most of them are, um, I know a little bit about it because I've been actually looking into it. That's probably my next foray. So, and my mom actually uh, has uh, some, something up there. She has um, it's like an expanded single, mm-hmm. and um, so if you're looking at fifty to seventy pages, that's about a quarter of most books. I mean, most books are two hundred. You know, between 200 and 300 pages. I don't mean the Stephen King, you know, tomes that, you know, are, you know, paperweights of the 10-pound uh, variety. But, uh, yeah, so the, the singles actually for – I think, though, that a lot of people think they're going to get rich really quick on singles because some people have. Absolutely. Some people are making a very nice living doing Kindle singles. But uh, people think, oh, I'll just write 30 pages, 40 pages, you know, slap a little illustration on the front of it and boom, you know, I'm going to sell thousands and thousands. Well, if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it already a long time ago. I know how you can make money on Amazon. 
Oh, really? Yeah, because I stumbled upon this uh, a year or two ago. Someone has printed, figured out a way to offer printed versions of Wikipedia articles. So when you do a search on something... Your favorite site. Yeah, my favorite site. When you do a search on something, um, you're going to find that you can actually buy... I think this works in Amazon, in fact, that if you search for something and there's nothing... Um, you will find an uh, you will find that you can buy a reprint, and it isn't immediately obvious that this is a reprint of a Wikipedia article. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, you know there are probably good Wikipedia articles. There are, but there are many, many very poor ones, and and certainly forgetting about good or poor, worthless. Uh, often it's worthless to buy something that was in, especially it's being represented as a book. Right. Now I have a Wikipedia page on me because I'm. You know, had some degree of fame years ago, and the point is, this thing is probably two pages long if it was printed. And I notice on Amazon that you can buy this. I didn't look at the price, but you know, I think that's that's just scandalous. That, but however, I guess caveat emptor also. Well, if they give dumb you enough fi- to buy it, <laughs> if they give you fifty percent of the profits, they're not giving okay. me anything. You know, and I didn't. So you know, whatever. It's, it's well, that, that kind of goes. This all goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with this whole new forum now, because in the you know in the old days, you know, if one of the three of us wanted to sit down and write, say, a full length novel, you know, that's you know, you're talking months and months to years of creativity, of, of editing it and rewrites and endless rewrites, you know, till four o'clock in the morning for years while, you know, while your wife has left you and left you and (laughs) taking the dog with her and everything else. Um, then, you know, that's the typical writer's lot really. Cause frankly, it's a pretty lonely life. If you think about it at times, writing can be very, very lonely. I mean, very satisfying, but you know, it's a singular activity. You can't do it like we're doing right now with the three of us. You can't do that writing in the moment. Yes, you can do collaboratives, but that's not the same thing. So it's, you know, it's, it's often quite a lonely, uh, existence out there for it. But, um, I, you know, I, 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 there, I have bought singles. I have bought uh, Kindle singles. There's been times when, okay, you know what? You're charging 99 cents for a 50-page equivalent novel. And most of them have actually been quite good that I've read. They've been entertaining. They've been satisfying. They had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, you know, there are some people who, and it's the kind of thing that I'm possibly leaning towards, where they're serializing it. And it's actually a probably pretty smart marketing tool as well. Um, You know, okay, I'll give you this book for 99 cents. And this is basically, here's 50 pages as chapter one, so to speak, of the story. And and then continuing continuing on with the story from there. So even if, you know, if you did it that way and you had an interesting way of serializing, you know, the books – even after 200 pages, it's still you're still only paying four dollars, which is less than what you'd be paying typically if you went to you know Barnes and Noble or you know in a regular store, anyways. So you know, I, I think that that that's an interesting uh, format in itself. As long as the people really care what they're writing about, as long as you're not just doing it just to prostitute yourself completely just to, okay, well, I'm just going to throw this 50 pages up there and sell it for 99 cents. And, you know, and if it's not really all that good, oh, well, as long as some people buy it, that's fine. But um, again, it, to me, that's, it's, it's the new frontier and it, I don't see anything wrong with that. 
I wanted to talk a little bit about, we actually were talking about this right before we went live, um, the, I, the process of writing a book for Kindle. And I say Kindle and Amazon because I'm absolutely not familiar with the other platforms, but uh, publishers like O'Reilly um, actually offer many, many formats. And when you buy, by the way, when you buy something from O'Reilly, these, again, nonfiction, but if you buy something from O'Reilly, uh, you can you can share it. That doesn't mean putting it on your website for people to download, but you can lend it to people, and it is there's no DRM in it, and you can um, get it in multiple formats. So uh, I've reviewed their books occasionally, and uh, you can get it in a PDF. You can get it for Kindle, and you can get it in some other more universal formats for other readers. Now I don't know how important that the other market is. Uh, you maybe you do as far as Barnes and Noble and all that. Uh, do you know? No, no. I've stuck to Kindle because Kindle um, has some very nice, nice um, advantages if you stay uh, if you stay uh, exclusive to them. That's right. That's right. And also, the platform is evolving. I'm not that familiar with the other ones, but you know, Barnes and Noble didn't they close all their stores? And yeah, how? Where is that going? Or they certainly closed yeah. a lot of them if they didn't close. They closed. They clo- yeah, they don't didn't close them all, but they do close a, a bunch. And as somebody who I'll, I have not bought a physical book now in probably three years. As a matter of fact, my wife and I, we built the, this custom book uh, shelves for ourselves, a whole room of, you know, nothing but we had several thousand books because we're both readaholics. And a couple of years ago, we decided we went in with a philosophy of one in, one out. And we actually ended up getting rid of, well, I got rid of probably, I donated to local libraries, ah, gosh, close to a thousand books. I mean, a lot of these were books I read many years ago. I'm never going to read them again. I mean, they look pretty on my wall and all that stuff. But I felt like, you know, it was more, it was better for me to donate them to libraries and have others be able to read them as well. But I do miss, I got to admit, I do miss on a Saturday afternoon going to Barnes and Noble or going to, you know, another bookstore because there's not that many left around here. I mean, there are, there's still a Barnes and Noble and there's still some secondhand stores and things like that. Like in New Haven around Yale, there's, you know, some really great secondhand bookstores. But I miss spending my Saturday afternoons, like hours and hours in those bookstores because frankly, I don't want to get encumbered again with physical books all throughout my house. I, I, I spent quality time traumatizing myself, <laughs> deciding which few books I was still keeping, you know, and, and the rest were going. And that was quite the process. And I don't want to have to do that again. But, you know, I, I do have friends who, who adamantly refuse to go the ebook route. Adamant, there's nothing like you know the smell and the feel uh, of a book, and I agree. I really do agree. Um, but at the same time, if I'm on vacation and I'm in uh, Atlantic Canada or I'm in California or something like that, I love that I can just whip out my tablet and read a book. Uh, that's that's the conundrum, I suppose, in in that feel that we all grew up. We're all of an age where we grew up before this whole revolution where books, you know, at night, you know, you're laying in your bed and you might have your flashlight on because you're really supposed to be, still be sleeping and kids now, you know, their flashlight is their tablets, you know? So it, are we going to ever see, I guess for me, are we ever going to see the day when physical books pretty much go by the wayside? Uh, I don't think so. I think there's going to be, 
um, there's always going to be the the collectors, you know, people who love the smell of a of a book, and you know, you can't sign a digital an, an ebook. You can't have author events where an author sits there and talks to their um, uh, audience and signs books for them. Until that's possible, you're not gonna. Ha- it's not gonna happen. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think the print market is threatened because a lot of people, even without going to you know the smell of a book, uh, the fact is they're convenient. They're in a convenient. If if they're in the format that you want, they're convenient. And then there's the the numerous uh, coffee table style books or, or right. cookbooks. Now you know I've got a couple of recipes that I have on like Ever, Evernote or one of those things. Yeah, sure, that's great. But uh, my wife, who's a big uh, book, well, she's actually a published author. She's got several books to her name. Uh, and she, when, when we were living in Paris, I mean, we had like 5,000 books. And we got rid of those because they just took, took up too much room. It was, that was tough for her. But the point is, for the cookbook thing, she's got just a whole shelf of cookbooks. And when we try to figure out what we're going to eat for a week... Um, yeah, you could turn on your computer or bring, pick up your phone and go. Okay, what's what do we? <laughs> I mean, you you could deal with it that way, but it's a lot more agreeable to just have the books and go, pick up a book and look through the photos, the nice color photos, and all of that. Uh, again, although you can do this with a computer or a tablet or whatever, it's it's absolutely not the same experience. Is it kind of like the same thing like with music where at one point, you know, we all had albums and we had 45s and everybody said, okay, that was the way it was for decades and decades. And then the cassette came along and then car stereo started getting cassettes and people were like, hmm, what's that going to do to album sales and what's that going to do to the album? And then eight tracks, you know, came and went kind of quickly. But uh, as <laughs> my point being yeah. in mu- music, people were predicting the death of albums for years and then when it went to cds you know and now we're up to the digital age on that you don't see uh, there still are albums out there but and there are certain groups who are adamant they have it built into their contracts that they're still going to be pressing albums for those so there is still like you was saying there's still there's still that market out there for the the people who want a specific delivery system uh is it kind of an is it kind of the same kind of thing as it was with the music I, th- I think what you'll see is um, the balance shift, and more ebooks will be sold than print books eventually. Is, Once, isn't that already the case, or am I crazy? I thought it was. I don't on think Amazon. So. I believe it is. Well, if it's if you're talking about self-published, if you're including self-published in the mix, then yes, I can see yes. more ebooks selling than um, print books. But when you um, discount the self-published stuff. And go for anything oh, okay. that is prof- that that is published through traditional publishing channels. I think that they are shooting themselves in the foot when it comes to pricing mm-hmm. of ebooks. So you know, that's a good, that's a good thing to take a look at real quick. Is the difference between self publishing and I want to talk a little bit about how you self publish. But before we do, the one of the differences is the gatekeeping thing, which is good and bad. Uh, but the advantage of having the gatekeepers, if they're doing their jobs, a good publishing company, first of all, uh, maybe foremost, uh, the promotional aspect of it, because um, as a self-publisher, and again, I'd love to hear more about what you've done, Ayub, but uh, if you don't promote your book, if you just write a book, no matter how good it is, and you just slap it on Amazon, 
Um, I can tell you that when the book is free, you'll have at least a thousand downloads of it, because there are people who are just waiting for free books and they download anything. Yes. I don't know what they do with it, but it goes. A friend of mine wrote four books and he was all excited because he had tw- uh, he had uh, eight hundred downloads in the three days, and uh, I did not tell him that uh, you know I published a book that I didn't even think much of myself. It was kind of an experiment. And there were like 1,200 downloads, and that was one book, a short book. Point is, people download these things, um, but the publishers have all that whole arm of promo, and they organize it. But but in the pre-production level, they look at the book, and they they see whether there's a market. Same in music, by the way. They look at it, and they try to picture if there's a market for this book and how big this book might be. Um, now, the problem with that in both cases is that the gatekeepers are basically vested interests. So it's like, well, what do I care if this book is any good if I can't sell it? And it's, it's understandable. It's perfectly understandable. And that's why it's great that there is self-publishing and that Amazon, which must have, by the way, killed the vanity publishing market where you pay like two grand to publish your book. Hopefully, they <laughs> that's pretty much dead now. Uh, yeah, You'd be surprised. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, okay. The vanity publishing market is still alive and well, mainly because they can, for their two grand, offer editing. If you pay two grand to someone like iUniverse to um, publish your book, you will get um, books put into stores, into bookshops, with the bookshops being able to return the books if they're not sold. Mm-hmm. You'll get um, professional editing. You'll get professional cover creation and i mean you, the marketing you'll get some help with marketing but the marketing is still down to you if you think your idea is good enough and you think it can sell and you can make that two grand back then by all means use them they are very good but if um if if you don't have the two grand to drop <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then uh kindle is for me the only realistic way because it is the biggest established of all the um the ebook publishers out there it's also fairly simple fairly um, simple <laughs> well, well, the, the kindle shoots itself in the foot um the hoops you have to jump through to get a book formatted correctly on yep. kindle is just insane i mean <sighs> This is this is where Google would be able to uh, completely blow Kindle out of the water if they tried. Google have their Drive um, document editing, and um, that has all of its features. And if that was then, if you were able to upload a Drive doc to the Play Bookstore yourself and set the price yourself, it would be so much easier than what you have to go through to get a Kindle book onto the Kindle store. You know, it's an interesting point that they have not done that yet because obviously Apple, and I don't think they're doing much, by the way, the iBook thing, um, they totally scandalized authors by, first of all, giving away a beautiful book formatting publishing thing. I don't know if you've looked at that. It's fantastic. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And it was free and just absolutely beautifully done. So you could write a beautiful book with full color illustrations. I think you could even put videos in it, but uh, just fantastic, free. But then at the end of the, the user terms, they said that you could not use this book that you're formatting for anything but iBooks. 
Mm-hmm. And also, I don't, I don't know if they're selling anything. I never hear anything about iBooks. The only thing you ever hear about really is the Kindle universe. So as you say, it's very difficult. Now, one of the reasons it's so hard is because my wife has the original Kindle. And if you look at that, it's, it's very much um, hobbled as far as what it can display. And that's one of the reasons that, that um, you can't just slap a Word document with beautiful formatting up there. Because the Kindle, the old Kindle now, the original Kindle can't do, um, and I forgot the word for this, where the first letter starts, big capitals, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Um, it, there's just a lot of things it can't do. It doesn't do justification the same way as modern platforms do. So if those things die out, the next series of Kindles that were color are basically, they're almost tablets. And then the series after that, the generation after that, are actually Android tablets that are capable of doing all that nice screen. And I assume that the latest color, the uh, not the Fire, the whatever the thing, no, that's a TV, the Fire, right, would be the latest generation of, of readers. That thing must be capable of doing anything that any screen can do. Yeah, but the, the biggest the biggest problem with those is that uh, when it comes to reading Kindle on um, an e-ink ski- screen, mm-hmm. is it's a lot more comfortable. It's like reading ink on paper because it's reflective light. Whilst um, in a, on a Kindle Fire or any other um, Android tablet or even iPad that you can get the Kindle app on, you're looking at projected light and projected light will hurt your eyes over time and you can't read on the beach and you can't read on the beach and well you can if you've got enough batteries Uh, (laughs) battery life in your in in your in your tablet Uh, but yeah the projected light thing is why the kindle e-ink e-readers still sell a lot and if you're writing a novel um, unless you're writing a epic fantasy that requires maps and things like that, everything else can be left by the wayside in terms of images and etc. etc. And you can have just the novel. But a lot of people now are starting to want to put more bells and whistles in. It seems like, you know, and they'll put in videos and charts and, and interactive features and so forth, which. For about five minutes, that interested me. You know, when I was buying my early eBooks, and people had you know links to sites and the this and the that. And I found, but I found it very quickly to be very distracting. It's like I just want to read the story, whether yeah. it's whether it's fiction, whether it's nonfiction, whatever. I I I don't want to have to go through all sorts of hoops to get from point A to point Z. You know, if I if I want to do that, I'll just go surfing on the internet. I don't mind a few, but uh, people were going crazy. Maybe it's because it was the, a new way of doing things. But you know, it's, I, even on uh, the magazines that I read online, um, and they do that like sports ones and political ones, and they'll have endless YouTube videos or or links to. To after a while, it's like, well, what am I doing here? Why don't I just just put it up on your site? If you want to, if you want to go that far, and I'll go to your site and I'll read it from there. But because for one thing, it's also killing my battery on my tablet. You know, if you have all sorts of if you have all sorts of videos and all that stuff, you're just draining my battery even quicker, which is going to irritate me even more so. You know, in that whole process, and I'm not trying to be you know you know a, you'd a luddite or anything like that when I say that. Well, there's another there's another aspect to this too, which is that uh, the the, it's the culture of having to have images everywhere. 
And I, I agree. By the way, is that you on the cover of uh, your book, uh, Ayub? I think it is. <laughs> yes, it is. So, uh, yes, it is. you know, you have to have a good cover. And that, that cover is actually very interesting. Had I never seen you before, I would have thought, wow, that's, you know. But what's really funny is it's you. And I assume you took the photo yourself or had someone take it. Yeah, I, I, I took it. I processed it. I edited it. I did all of that myself. Well, it looks very evil, and that's what you were looking for, I think. Uh, <laughs> well, but yeah, anyway... The, the culture of images is what I was getting to. And, and if you look at Medium very much, and by the way, medium.com is an interesting site for people who want to write. And naturally, you're going to be writing for free and so on. But um, it's actually something that's worth, if you're, if you're interested in writing, uh, Jim and I have both written articles on Medium. And most of it's, like I say, when I write my little experiences, my trip to Italy and stuff like that, uh, that I'm, you know, there's no really good way to get paid for that unless I collected all of it up like you did. You've been put it in one book. But I don't think it's necessarily for that. Anyway, point is that a lot of people on Medium now are inserting YouTube videos and songs and, and lots of photos, what I would call too many photos. I mean, it's one thing to illustrate what you're trying to do. And if you're, if you're a writer and you're writing fiction, by the way, as you said, Ayub, there's really no good reason to stick all that stuff in there unless you're writing a book that needs the map, that needs a sketch of something. It it's, it's almost can be a crutch. And I think on Medium, because, you know, after all, Medium, most of the people on Medium are amateurs at writing. And so they're just sticking it in there. Or they're, let's say, a new generation anyway. They're not people who are just sitting down to impart something by written phrases, which is kind of, to me, what a writer is. I like Medium. I um, not and not just because I write there, but I do like. I have found some really cool writers on there. People who are have never been published, mm-hmm. you know, who are just you know your average everyday people, and it makes you realize that there are tons and tons of really good writers out there who, whether because they just haven't had the ambition yet to do a novel, or because they just don't have the self confidence, uh, or feel like. It's just too big for them to, you know, the, the whole publishing world and getting an agent and things like that, that it's just, it's overwhelming to them. So they'll just, you know, they'll write for themselves and then post it on someplace like Medium. Uh, I think that's really cool. There's been, there's been some, I've found that probably almost half of the essays that I've been reading lately have been via Medium. Uh it's like everything else. Sometimes you'll find some less than stellar stories, <laughs> and, and some of them will be on my page, by the way. Um, and that's Stop. okay. Too, you, you must know? never. A psychiatrist friend. I I, pres- I want to make sure you understand. This is a friend and not somebody I was seeing professionally. Once uh-huh. to- when I told him, I said, "I can't." Well, I can't draw. I was trying to draw something. I said, "I can't draw." And he says, "Don't ever say bad things about yourself. The rest of the world will take care of that." <laughs> yeah, no, actually, um, yeah. actually, James, you just reminded me of a point that I wanted to make uh, when you start when you mentioned agents, and uh, Randy, you mentioned this a little while ago as well in terms of them being kind of the gatekeepers for quality. The problem is they're not the gatekeepers for quality anymore; they're the gatekeepers for fame. If you're famous, you can get an agent like that. Mm-hmm. If you're unpublished and not famous, trying to get an agent to even read and consider you is a living nightmare. Most of them just say no submissions. They don't even give you a way to send them anything. Right. 
We don't so even take any submissions anymore. We don't even take yeah. submissions in my collection anymore on Medium. Exactly. exactly. Agents, <laughs> agents, agents and publishers no longer take submissions. And how are they discovering new writers? By getting people off of reality TV to write memoirs. Oh, and that oh, is right. just ridiculous. Sorry. That is that, 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 is, that is terrible. And, but I, I also think that they're finding them by people who – write say they may write a story on medium just using that as an example and a lot of people end up liking it and a lot of people start sharing that and from there it gets into the right ear eventually and i think that that might be also what some people are writing on sites like medium and other ones uh so forth because they may feel that that's the only process that may get them to get an agent's ear down the road but I also think that I think that a lot of it too now is I think frankly it's that that sense that um the indie sense people just you get told all the day long at your job what you can do what you can't do how you have to do it um, uh, other times in your life and other aspects of your life you're told what you can do how you can do and when you can do it and I think that there with writers and uh, musicians and so forth there's that sense of you know what i don't want to be told all the time what i can do what i can write about what i can say my thoughts are my thoughts and i own those thoughts those are my thoughts and if, if i want to write about them that's what i'm going to do and if you don't like it and you don't like it and my mom doesn't like it well you know so be it but i'm going to do it and i think that what we're seeing here is people are trying to find their way of being their own boss and controlling the, their own words. And, you know, if other people don't like it or if agents tell them, screw you, you know, I'm not going to read what you have to say. They're saying, oh, well, I'm going to do it anyways. And I think that's really good. I think that's the good spirit. There's the bad spirit of the, of what we're seeing today, but there's a good one too. And and it's, I'm not going to say it's like the sixties and, you know, and the, you know, the peace love thing, but I think that it really is just something as simple as, People have something to say, and they're going to say it, damn it. So the yeah. means of production are in the hands of the people. Power to the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the thing is, the means of production is still just a little bit complex. That's yes. why lots of companies have sprouted up that will say, we will format your book for you for X hundred dollars. <laughs> That's a big cottage industry now. I've even seen it like on... Uh, uh, on Twitter and in Google Plus and things like that, people who are offering, they'll proofread your manuscript for a couple a hundred bucks. Still, Yeah, a proofreader is a necessity. I mean, I yeah. will admit, I will admit there are a fair few typos in my book that's out there, and I apologize to anybody who's read it, uh, including you, Randy, for the typos. I haven't gotten to any yet. And at some point, I will go through and fix all of them. <laughs> But um, yeah, so proofreader is worth their weight in gold. You know what's what I'm finding fascinating at this point is I follow on Twitter a lot of uh, writers, a lot of columnists for news, sports, music, and so forth, and they're posting. You know, they'll post live their latest uh, essays and their latest columns and all that stuff. I'm shocked at how many. T terrible mistakes are coming on like i won't use his name because i love him but he's one of my favorite sports columnists last night at about 10 o'clock he posted his every monday he has this big sports media uh column that comes out on uh, sports illustrated and he posted it and and i went up there and i saw several typos and grammatical errors 
right off the get-go, including one where he was mentioning the uh, the new movie Draft Day that's about the football draft. Well, he had a lowercase d for draft when it's the movie, and he had day capitalized like he should have. Both should be caps. It's a movie. And it was just like, holy cow, are you kidding me? It's one thing that you missed it, but you work for Sports Illustrated, so there has to be an editor. The editor missed it as well. And I'm, I see that more. And I think it maybe goes in – I got to get it online quick. I have to get my column. There's deadlines because they have deadlines. If you're a newspaper reporter, you're a magazine writer, so forth, they have deadlines. But it's I'm seeing this more and more. It's like either are these companies cutting back on budgetary reasons? Are they cutting back staff so much that they're leaving writers to be basically their own editors at this point? I think that's the case. I think that's the case because I'm I, I'm with you. I see the same thing uh, when you anything that's online. You look at it. Another thing that I'm seeing a lot, it has a lot of uh, those typos in it. Uh, I, by the way, I make a million typos in every email I write, but I'm, I'm not trying to you know, publish these things. Right. And right. I also have, am seeing a lot of people who are not native English speakers who are, have horrendous writing, and they're like in the security fields and stuff. And I, I understand that, you know, first of all, it's not their first language. But it's it's really gets to be suspicious when the grammar is so bad that you have to reread a sentence a few times to understand it. And, you see and a lot of that. You, you see a lot of that. I'm sorry. You see a lot of that in uh, text stories. Yeah, yeah, totally. Online in text stories, you see a lot of that where you can tell that it's not their first language. And I was reading one the other day, and I was just rolling my eyes. I was like, I got his point of what he was saying, but it was just so it can badly be worded. It, it was it was like it was hurting me to read those words. Hey, I want to I want to um, get uh, I have a question for you, Ayuben. I want to get this out there for people who might be interested in it um, as potential authors. And that is, first of all, we've been talking about gatekeepers and so on, and the fact that it's great that we do all have the means to publish. And it's true if you have a computer and you get on Amazon and get an account, you can publish the book. And I think, by the way, that since you wrote uh, Wolf Dreams, I don't know if that's your last publication on Amazon or not. Yeah, that that is the first and last that I self-published. Okay, but, so, uh, there is another one coming up. Well, I'm, that's great. <laughs> uh, and But the reason I mention that is because I think I wrote my book after you wrote yours, and I'm be- pretty sure that they've made a lot of progress. And basically now you can almost just upload a Word doc and it becomes a book. Uh, you have to keep looking at it a couple of times and correcting a few things, but it's very, very close. Anyway, that wasn't the... Yeah, the, 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 there, there are some good tools, I have to say. There are some good tools out there that let you... Um, no, this is just uploading it directly with no tools of any... Nothing. No, not even a template. I will have to have another look. So they have changed. But, <laughs> but my point was there's that challenge, but there's mainly the challenge of getting your book looked at. Now, the book I wrote, again, I don't think it's much of a book. It's just a, it's a bunch of uh, diet tips on keeping fit. And it's very, they're very short, and it is illustrated and so on. And it cost me a little bit of money just because I paid an illustrator full price to do the work. But the point is that I didn't do what I think I would have to do to promote it. I wanted to see the publication through uh, but it's not a fiction. It's not an emotional thing where I thought, oh, this is my you know, greatest work. I've got to hit. So somebody has to go out there and, I, and, and promote this thing. We are not doing book tours because this is the Internet. So I'm going to assume, uh, Ayub, that you had some way of putting 
your book out there in person. Now, was this just that you know so many people, you were able to just put a blast out saying that? Because I would have had to go hang out on health forums or diet forums. That would be the typical way to do this. You ingratiate yourself into a community, and then you go, oh, by the way, you know, after a certain time has passed, then you start the what inevitably might become spamming people. Uh, how, did the, how did the process work for you as far as Wolf Dreams go? goes on Amazon. Did you do something actively on it? I I did. I did not have that much of a following when I published it, to be honest. I was a very, very, very small fish. Um, but yeah, I talked about it. I um, gave people... Uh, um, I gave people information about the book and some of the people had already read uh, some of the stories in the book as well, mm -hmm. but that's all I did. Uh, I will admit that I am terrible at marketing, which is why I haven't really marketed the book well at all. Uh, when you said uh, earlier on about um, putting a book out there and just leaving it on Amazon without doing anything or without telling anybody, I was um, kind of laughing inside because that's pretty much that's what, what you I did. did. Um, it was only when I joined Google Plus and uh, one of my friends discovered that I had the book out there that um, they uh, they said, "Are you being? What are you doing? Get it! <laughs> Start talking about it." Uh, when I actually started talking about it for a little while, but I haven't talked about it much because I am looking on. Um, I'm looking at which one of my completed novels is going to be the next one to go out. Well, my friend that I, who I mentioned uh, is not at all on online. He, he's uh, way, way behind any of us. He's not on anything that I know, any social network or anything. And he published four books that he had inside him. He just you know, went through and decided to format them and publish them. I don't know how they're doing. Uh, but it's, I just don't see how you can do it without social. My, my main point, in fact, is that whether you work hard at it or not, and whether you spam people or not, and let's hope nobody's doing that, but regardless of how you may market the book, you, I don't think you can have any success until somehow that book gets discovered. Now, that would be through Google+, Facebook, yada, yada, Twitter, and so on, or it's better yet through some major player um, who looks at a blogger or whatever, who has a following and looks at this book and says, I just read a great book and I want you guys to go do this or a podcast, you know, whatever. Uh, anything that's, that's heavily followed. And that would be the luck that any of us who do anything creative would love to run into, which is that someone yeah. looks at your book, reads the book and recommends it. Because then and only then can you start on the path to riches and fame. Which is what self, everybody wants, right? Self-promotion is really <laughs> tough. I mean, and the cer certain people are really good at it. Some people are very comfortable at it. Yeah, they're all on Google+. Uh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, there is that too. Um, but like when, when uh, the, the small group and I started Media Tapper a few years ago, um, I had never been involved in that kind of experience. All my writing was for myself or, uh, and and. I was not used to the concept of having to market essentially for other people as well, you know, and, and it was easier for me, say if AU wrote something for us, it was easy for me to try to sell his story to people. But for my own, it, it was, it was, and it is still very traumatic 
to try to sell my own stories, essentially. I have a very, very hard time with that. It's it's that fine line of of not wanting to pat myself on the back, insecurities, because frankly, most writers probably have loads of loads of insecurities on, on, uh, you know, are are people going to like it? Are people going to hate it? You know, what's the reaction going to be? So for me, it's always been very hard to do that because it's like, once it's out there, once you start doing that, you're going to have to accept that not just, a, oh, that was great, but wow, you suck or, you know, that sucked or, you know, you had that typo on page 27 or, you know, what are you, nuts? You know, those kinds of things come into play. Those insecurities just, they can grind you down if if you're somebody like me who's filled with those insecurities when it comes to my writing. So the promotion part is, extru- it's just, it can be excruciating, but if you don't do it, then who's going to know? Yeah, you know, yep. Stephen King could just put something out, sit back in one of his cottages in Maine, and and not have to do do anything. But um, oh, that's is that the two minute warning? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> hey, uh, Jim, John O'Bacon. You know John O'Bacon, the the guy who works with uh, uh, Ubuntu and all of that. Maybe you don't. He's a big, commu- very famous community leader. At any case. Uh, he wrote a book that, that's interesting. It's talking exactly about what you just said. Actually, the book is about communities and forums and dealing with mean people, trolls, and it's called Dealing with Disrespect. But the sub, the uh, whatever, the second part of the title, it says Dealing with Disrespect. It's called Handling Your Critics No Matter What They Throw at You. And that's exactly when you said, when people say you suck or whatever, that's exactly... Uh, what this book is for. It's actually a pretty interesting book, and it happens to be on Amazon. John huh, uh, yeah, Throw a link out there to me on that one. That sounds interesting. It is tough. I mean, I wish I was one of those people who had supreme confidence in my writing abilities. And, no, thick skin is what you need. Ah, uh, you know what? <laughs> yes. I, I, my, my, my mind peels like an onion very easily. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't, you know, I can have 20 people write me and say, you know what? I really liked what you wrote on this. And that's great and it's wonderful. And then one person writes and it was horrible, it sucked, whatever. And I end up focusing exclusively on that a lot of times. I I doubt that I'm alone when it comes to that, but I have a horrible time with that. And I'll just hold on to that one, just like that story. You know, the one I'm talking about on Medium that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And I had hundreds and hundreds of people wrote me. It's the only time it's ever happened who absolutely loved the story, who were touched and moved and all that stuff. One person wrote me and just chastised me for it. And I should pull the story and that it was awful and it was disrespectful and all this and all that. And since that time, that, that one email has just in the the last six weeks has bugged me, has held on to me and gripped me more than all the other people who thought that it was very touching and, and really appreciated it. And I just I, I can't be alone in, in in the writer world and feeling that way. No, you're not. Um, any bad review sticks with you a lot more than any good review. Right. But um, when you've got like 50 bad reviews sitting out there and people hating you because of what you write, um, the one uh, quote that I've forgotten who said it, but uh, it comes to mind. Um, if people hate you, 
you're doing something right. <laughs> and yeah, you're never going to have everyone like you. You're never going to have everyone agree with you. So just keep doing what you do. And the people who like you will like it. And the people who don't, they'll tell you about it. <laughs> Igor Stravinsky said, no one has ever erected a statue in honor of a critic. <laughs> let me, let, oh, I like that. But, but let, let me tell you something, uh, James, that might make you feel better about the criticism you received. The fact that what you wrote moved somebody to write such a scathing letter is a win. True. That's that's actually a very good way of looking at it. That's because it was a very, very long involved email. And um, somebody took a lot of time out of their day to do that. And they did <laughs> to that because you moved them to do me, it. Yeah, to shred me and make me feel terrible. <laughs> hey, you still achieved what you wanted to. Yes. Um, you wrote yes. an article that made someone think the fact that they disagreed with you makes no, never mind. You wrote it, you made them think and you made them take time out of their day to write a response. That's and, a win. And I wrote them back. I'll be honest. I, you know, I, it, the me of 20 years ago would have shredded them right back and blah, 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 but I'm older and a smidge wiser now. So, and I wrote them a very reasoned response of why I wrote the story, the reasons behind it and so forth. And, you know, I'm sorry that you felt that way, but this is why, and I'm not pulling the story because I think that it's too important. It was my distracted driver story. And I said, I'm not pulling it. I'm sorry that you feel that way because they lost their father in, mm -hmm. in that manner. And I, I'm sure he was a wonderful man and all of that. I said, but I'm not pulling it. I'm, I'm sorry. If you start going down that rabbit hole where you give other people the power to for you to take your stories down, uh, that's that's too scary, and it's a place I'm not going to go. You mean yeah. this person's father was talking on a cell phone and got killed, or got killed no, by no, a distracted no, driver? No, by, by, by a just they were killed by a distracted driver. Did you and get an answer to your answer, by the way, or not? No, I haven't heard anything back from her. I and, and you know what? I want her. I know she's in a lot of pain. Yeah, I yes. understand that, and that's why I was like, she deserved from me a measured response on yeah. why I wrote the story. Yeah, that was good. But I'm not, you know, I wasn't going to pull a story. And I don't think anybody should, frankly. I think I'm a believer that once you say something, once you write something, own your words. Own them. The good, good, good or bad. Good or bad, own them. Yeah. You, know, uh, it's, you can apologize if you feel like you, okay, maybe I stepped over the line or I said something wrong and I shouldn't have said it. But once it's out there, you know, well, you, you own your words. You didn't in that story, though. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. So it was you nice do. that you said, I'm sorry that that makes you feel bad or whatever. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's the key. Um, don't apologize for what you said. Apologize for how it made the person feel. Right. Exactly. Acknowledge that, you know, somebody else. I mean, you, you see that nowadays, like in political writings where, you know, everybody gets instantly offended because it's if it's somebody who doesn't agree with them right away or, you know, if that happens all the time. And it, where does it ever end then if you if you just can't allow people to have that kind of power over your writing? No, you can't. I don't you know. I don't believe that you should. I think you're irresponsible as a writer if you do. Okay, I think uh, we're pretty much out of the satellite time that we're renting that's costing about $1,000 a second. Oh, boy. Okay. And all these live broadcasts and things. I <laughs> <laughs> just want to remind everybody that uh, you're listening to the Leave the Bottle podcast and that you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, or just look up Leave the Bottle podcast on Google. I'm pretty sure the right one will come up even though there's probably some country western group somewhere in Louisiana that has the same name. 
Yeehaw. <laughs> Hope to see you again soon, Ayub. Thanks for participating. Thanks, Ayub, for showing up. For Good showing fun up. as always. He was the All first right. here. And it's still only 6.30 my time. Ooh. <laughs> right. I, need an, I need another coffee. I got to go rehearse. Ayub is going to start writing immediately. And Jim, you got to go to work. So. Yes, I got to go to work. See you all later. Have a great day. All right. All right. You too. Take care.